polyester and nylon chemically processed fibers. They're using petroleum and plastics and a lot of chemicals in the production. And the highly sustainable fabrics, maybe a hemp or organic cotton, really kind of have to be looking further beyond just the fabrication, but also to the certifications. And that's really what it means to be a B Corp. It's to be a positive impact in the world. Just because a brand is a luxury brand, they're paying their workers well, which is totally not true. Advocating for buying less is definitely a great way to go. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Okay, friends, I am so excited about today's episode. It is about something I am personally obsessed with, which is clothes, as well as something I am personally haunted by, which is how to be more sustainable in our clothing habits. You guys know me. I love my black dresses. I'm always posting in new black dresses. It's a problem. That said, I also sort of wear the same thing every day in my normal daily life. So I am torn between this concept of being sustainable in my daily life and yet wearing all the dresses and wanting all the clothes. And that's just a numbers game. It doesn't even include what I've also been haunted by, which is the actual fabrics, the toxins, whether or not something is organic, the production practices and what goes into that. I just think all of this is so important and I was thrilled to connect with Christy Sumer and finally learn just what's happening in the clothing industry and some incredible things she's doing to change that with her company Encircled. And Christy is so kind. She's giving my audience a 15% off coupon code. So you can use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to get 15% off site-wide at encircled.co. That's E-N-C-I-R-C-L-E-D dot C-O. I adore what Christy is doing to really address this issue today, which is the waste and lack of sustainability and toxins and production problems in our fashion industry. We talk about so many things in this episode. I learned all about what actually constitutes sustainable fabric how greenwashing is often used in the industry, think things like vegan leather and recycling myths. We talk about the toxins and dyes, fast versus slow fashion, plastics and clothing, and then how to actually make changes. So what should you wear when you travel? How can you pick out clothing? How can you start right now with your present wardrobe and make changes? And we also talk about something I am super passionate about, which is women in business, starting your own company, and the hardships and fears and craziness that goes with that. I learned so much with Christy, and I can't wait to hear what you guys think. And there will be links in the show notes to all of the brands that Christy was suggesting that people check out for shoes. So definitely check that out. So those show notes, which also include a full transcript, will be at melanieavalon.com slash insert. Again, that is E-N-C-I-R-C-L-E-D and the coupon code Melanie Avalon gets you 15% off site-wide at encircled.co. I have a very exciting announcement, friends. I have officially launched a TikTok channel. I've been on Instagram for a while, but it is time for TikTok. And with the channel, I'm going to be posting daily, very high quality, awesome biohacking content 
tips and tricks, things from my life. And I really want to bring the glam to biohacking because I feel like biohacking can be very male-centric or focused on a certain type of person. And I just want to break that stereotype and bring all the sparkles. So please join me there. My handle is Melanie Avalon official. Please let me know what you'd like to see from me, what you think of the content. I do feel pretty shy about it. So please join me so that we can be friends and just go on the most epic biohacking adventure. Okay, friends, spirulina update. It is still coming. I know it's been taking a while. It's just because I want to make the most ideal spirulina tablets on the market, ones that are tested for purity and potency and to be free of all pesticides and just the highest quality. So we've got that spirulina source. It tastes awesome. The issue we're experiencing is that in order to make it into tablets, it requires another ingredient. If you're currently taking spirulina tablets and they say they are one ingredient, They are not one ingredient. There is something in there that is helping to keep that structure. So we're trying to figure out which route to go with this. It's really fun because I keep trying different samples. I think I know which one I like the most, but we'll see which one I end up picking. Either way, I really love the taste of our spirulina. It doesn't taste fishy or LGE, and I really experience the benefits. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can get my other Avalon X supplements at avalonx.us. Friends, have you jumped on the serapeptase bandwagon yet? That's what I launched with, and to this day, it continues to be my most favorite supplement ever. It's a proteolytic enzyme created by the Japanese silkworm. When you take it in the fasted state, it actually breaks down non-living problematic proteins in your body, so it can help address an array of issues. Like I said, it will clear your sinuses, calm inflammation, It may help reduce cholesterol. Studies have shown it can break down amyloid plaque. It can help alleviate pain and so much more. I take it daily. It is one of the most important supplements in my arsenal. This is the new year. Start it off right. Get some serapeptase. You can get 10% off with the coupon code MelanieAvalon, as well as a 20% off code when you text AvalonX to 877-861-8318. That's AvalonX to 877-861-8318. Those codes will also work with my fantastic partner, MD Logic Health. For that, go to melanieavalon.com slash mdlogic. And of course, all of my supplements I formulated to be the very best on the market. They're tested multiple times for heavy metals and mold. They're free of all common allergens as well as problematic fillers, which goes back to that whole spirulina formulation issue I was talking about. They come in glass bottles to help prevent leaching of plastics into ourselves and the environment. And we even use the minimal amount of stickiness required for the labels to help with our environmental impact. To get these fantastic products, go to avalonx.us and definitely get on my email list so that you don't miss the Spirulina launch special. For that, go to avalonx.us slash email list. Another resource for you guys If you struggle with food sensitivities like I do, you have got to get my app, Food Sense Guide. It's a comprehensive catalog of over 300 foods for 11 potentially problematic compounds. These include things you may be reacting to, like gluten, lectins, FODMAPs, histamine, oxalates, sulfites, thiols, whether or not something is a nightshade, and so much more. It even includes autoimmune paleo AIP status. You can learn about the compounds, create your own list to share and print, and finally take charge of your food sensitivities. It is a top Apple app, often in the top 10 for the Apple food and drinks charts. And friends, get it now because I'm going to be updating it to a subscription basis soon. So you definitely want to get grandfathered in for life at one super low price. 
With the subscriptions, by the way, I'm going to be implementing some pretty cool features. So I need to do subscriptions to help support that. So like I said, get it now. Before we change to subscriptions, you can get it at melanieavalon.com slash foodsenseguide. And one more thing before we jump in. Did you know there are over a thousand compounds found in conventional skincare and makeup in the U.S. that have been banned in Europe due to their toxicity? If you are using conventional skincare and makeup, you are directly putting into your bloodstream toxic compounds, including obesogens, which can literally cause your body to store and gain weight. So if your diet's not working, you might want to think about what's happening with your skincare and makeup, as well as carcinogens linked to cancer. I'm not making this up. And just endocrine disruptors in general, which mess with our hormones. Thankfully, there's an easy solution to this. There's a company called Beauty Counter and they were founded on a mission to change this. Every single ingredient is extensively tested to be safe for your skin so you can truly feel good about what you put on and their products really work. I am obsessed with their overnight resurfacing peel, their vitamin C serum, they have shampoo and conditioner, skincare lines for every skin type and incredible makeup. It's so amazing that Tina Fey actually wore all Beauty Counter makeup when she hosted the Golden Globes. So yes, it is high definition camera ready. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code cleanforall20 to get 20% off site-wide. You can get the latest updates from me, specials, sales, samples, and so much more on my email list. That's at melanieavalon.com slash cleanbeauty. And you can join me in my Facebook group, Clean Beauty and Safe Skincare with Melanie Avalon. People share product reviews and their experiences, and I do a giveaway every single week in that group as well. And lastly, if you're thinking of making clean beauty and safe skincare a part of your future, like I have, I definitely recommend becoming a Band of Beauty member. It's sort of like the Amazon Prime for clean beauty. You get 10 back in product credit, free shipping on qualifying orders, and a welcome gift that is worth way more than the price of the year-long membership. It is totally, completely worth it. And I'll put all this information in the show notes. An important announcement, friends. My EMF blocking products are coming. Make sure you don't miss the launch special. For that, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list. EMFs are actually classified by the IARC as a group 2B, possibly carcinogenic to humans. These are such a problem. We are exposed to them through our Wi-Fi, our cell phones, our AirPods, And they are linked to so many health issues, including anxiety, migraines, headaches, even fertility issues. This is such a problem. Thankfully, you can address your EMF exposure. I'm going to help with that with my Avalon X EMF blocking product line. So again, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list to check that out. All right, without further ado, please enjoy this fabulous conversation with Christy Sumer. Hi friends, welcome back to the show. I am so incredibly excited about the conversation that I'm about to have. It is going to be, I think, both a very fun conversation and a very eye-opening conversation. So backstory on this topic, I was thinking about this. It's kind of crazy. I talk all the time about the importance of a non-toxic lifestyle, especially with things like skincare and makeup, because you know we're putting that directly on our skin, into our bodies. I talk about cleaning up our environment, our food. I have not talked about our clothing. And I think it's something that 
I mean, a lot of us probably just don't think about. So I was absolutely thrilled when Christy Sumer reached out to me. She is the founder of a company called Encircled. And the initial pitch was about how the company is sustainable and is, you know, doing all of this stuff with looking at the role of toxins and clothing and all of these different approaches to fashion that is better for both us and the environment. So I was immediately very intrigued and was like, oh, I I need to like look into this. So I had a call with Christy and she was absolutely amazing, so inspiring. So I knew I had to have this show. And then actually since then, I interviewed and read a book called A Poison Like No Other by Matt Simon. That's actually all about microplastics, but he has a massive amount of information in his book about the role of plastics in clothing. So that further blew my mind. So I've been looking forward to this conversation for so long. I have so many questions. Christy, thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Melanie. I'm excited to chat with you about this subject and I definitely have to read that book. I haven't, I haven't heard of that one yet. Oh, it's so good. And I mean, it's really, really shocking. I didn't realize how much of clothing today is plastic. Like it it kind of blew my mind. Right before this, I was actually looking at Encircled to see which different materials you guys use, which is super cool. So we can get into that. Before all of that, we talked about this on the phone, you and I, but what is your story? Because it is no small feat to start a brand. That was another reason I wanted to have you on. Like I love stories from like really strong independent women starting their own brands. I just find it so cool and so inspiring. So what led you to start this clothing company? Because that is a, I mean, that is like a large task to in-depth to do. Yeah. I'll give you like the short version of that story, but I'm actually not a fashion designer by trade. I went to school for finance and economics and I have an MBA. So I spent probably the first like 10 years of my career working in consumer packaged goods. And then eventually, and and I did some retail and then eventually ended up in management consulting where I was like traveling pretty much every single week on an airplane to client sites and having to pack a really, really small bag because I always wanted to be the fastest in and out of the airport to minimize my time flying. And I became like quite the adept packer, but I started to get very frustrated with the lack of sustainable and comfortable and stylish clothing that I felt I could travel with for work and that I could wear after work and not, you know, when you wear like a pantsuit and you just want to like rip it off at the end of the day because it's so uncomfortable. I was feeling that like frustration for sure with, you know, the pressure to have all these different outfits to wear to work, to look professional and presentable but also wanting to be comfortable as well and not wanting to check a bag. So from all of those challenges, you know, I was packing for my first ever yoga retreat to Costa Rica and my suitcase broke. I decided I had to pack everything into like a teeny tiny bag at four in the morning because I was packing last minute, of course. I started to really question like, why was I bringing so many like one note clothing? Like I was bringing, you know, a dress that I would maybe wear once and like a cardigan for the plane because I live in Canada and it's cold up here in the winter. And then like a scarf and and I started to get really frustrated. And I was like, you know what, there's got to be like, just a better way to do this. Like how, how do we not have clothing that is more versatile that we can change into like a few different things, you know? So I started off kind of on that vein and invented this product called the Chrysalis Cardi, which we still have in our collection today. And it's essentially an eight in one scarf, tunic, dress, cardigan top that you can change around. It's made from really luxurious premium sustainable fabrics and has these little hidden snaps so you can snap together the look you need. And that became our first piece. And then, you know, I decided got to go with it and quit my job. And then 10 years later, here we are. (laughs) 
So I know I imagine it would be like hours and hours, the entire story, but I'm just curious, like the first steps, because I think so many people have dreams of doing something like you're doing. What's your advice or guidance or what was your experience actually turning that into reality? Like what was like the literal first step to to like get things moving? Like when you were creating that first piece? Yeah, I would say like, because my background wasn't fashion, it was to figure out how to actually make a product was like step number one. And if you think back like 10 years ago, we did not have the depth of knowledge on the internet that you have today around this. So now it's so much easier to go onto like Upwork or one of those sites and find somebody like a product developer or take a course on how to design your own fashion product for like non-fashion people. But back then I literally ordered this book called The Sewn Product Entrepreneur's Guide to Manufacturing off of eBay because it was out of print because it was so old and read it from cover to cover and it terrified me because it was so scary and so technical. But I learned a lot from that book and I started to get a grasp on, you know, what are the steps to actually manufacturing a product? Because I think as consumers, we're so used to just like seeing a product in the store and just not even really understanding how it even got there. And there's so many steps behind the scenes to even make like a basic t-shirt from like the initial sketch to the technical design to the technical specs, testing fabric, you know, figuring out the pattern, testing the pattern, fit models, all this stuff down to manufacturing and final delivery that as a consumer, you just don't know about. So I would say the first step is just to get educated on that whole process of what goes into making a product and then basically like figuring out how to make it. So I chose to make it locally in Toronto. So our whole collection is made up here in Toronto, Canada still. And I wanted to do that for a few reasons from not only from a carbon footprint, but ethics perspective, but also quality being able to produce, you know, close to home and be able to go to the factory and see what they're making and how they're doing it. And it also enabled me to start with lower minimums, which is a big issue in fashion, not having, you know, the cash to invest in inventory. So from day one, like I always suggest people starting with like their idea and figuring out like, you know, learning a little bit more about the process, figuring out how to get that idea to execution is probably the hardest part. And that's probably the biggest barrier to entry in the fashion industry today still. Wow. Yeah. I'm so fascinated by this. And like, cause I launched a supplement line and I, I was so grateful to partner with a pre-existing company. It's not a white label situation. It's still my actual product, but I worked with an entire team at MD Logic. So they, like they do all the production and all of that stuff. So, so like when you were starting your company, I mean, were you doing all arms of it? Like the production, the order fulfillment, everything? Yeah. So I was, I wasn't physically making the product. We had a factory in Toronto doing that, but I was shipping the order. But sourcing it. Yeah. I was, I was shipping the orders for sure. And I was sourcing the fabrics and working with all the parts and pieces. So like, you know, for that first garment that I talked about, you know, you need a pattern, you need to know what fabric to use. So you have to go through learning about fabrics is really challenging. And we can definitely talk about that later both in regards to toxins and sustainability, but also performance. Like there's just no guide to which fabric to choose for what, like there's so many different varieties and weights and textures and all that kind of stuff. So it can be really overwhelming, but yeah, it was a lot of me doing everything at the beginning from customer service to shipping, to marketing, all that kind of stuff. And I was also working full-time for the first two years 
of my company. So I was still consulting (laughs) and still traveling. So it was becoming like a little, that's what ended up kind of being the catalyst for quitting my job. It was just, it was growing so much and it was taking more and more of my time on the weekends and evenings and I just couldn't do it anymore. So, so yeah, it's important to have like, I think if you can find a way to outsource production, that's like a really big piece for most brands, especially in this space, they always are very involved in the design of their products. That's pretty key. I think, to creating a differentiated product in the market as well. Question actually about that moment where you did go full-time with Encircled. Did you have the experience of being nervous about that that switch? Because I feel like that's a common story I hear where people have like a stable job, but they have their like passion on the side. And it can be really scary, I think, for people to commit fully to this other passion. So like, was it a situation where it was obvious that you know, Encircled was going to be sustainable, no pun intended, as your, you know, full-time job? Or was it like a a scary jump over? Oh my gosh, it was so scary. So scary. I am not one of those people who's like leap and the net will appear. Like that is not me. I am like the most cautious entrepreneur and I do not come from an entrepreneurial family at all. So they were super not on board with me becoming an entrepreneur, especially since you know, like I'd invested so much in education and I perceivably had my dream job and I was making great money, you know, but I wasn't very fulfilled by my career at the time. So I was definitely seeking more. So it was so scary. And I couldn't even pay myself out of Encircled when I first quit my job. So that added to the fear factor because I was single and, you know, I was living by myself. So it's, it's a tough decision. But I think at the end of the day, I knew that if I didn't make that decision, I might regret it. And it just came down to kind of, you know, asking myself, like, you know, I could always go back to consulting, I can always go back to a corporate career, but I saw an opportunity with this product, I felt very passionate about the way I was building that business and the values of it. So I was like, I can't always go back to that. So I might as well try it out. And if it doesn't work out, then, you know, I can always go get a job. And I thankfully have not have to do that. So, (laughs) so yeah, so eight years in full time, haven't had to do that. And hopefully never will go back and work for anybody. Wow. Okay. I'm so glad I asked that because I just feel like that is so common. And that was my experience as well. Like I was doing podcasting and my book and like all this stuff, but I always had a serving job on the side. I was so scared to not have something that seemed like where you're, you know, clocking in, like getting a paycheck. And then I lost that job because of COVID. And that's when I realized, oh, I actually didn't need to be doing that. Like I, <laughs> like, like I actually can do this full time. And I think it's just so common. So I really encourage people, you know, if they are in this situation to, you know, really explore their passions. Okay. So the fabrics, you mentioned that I was looking at the fabrics that you guys use and it's super cool. Like some are from wood pulp, some are from bamboo, flax. What is the difference between sustainable and not sustainable fabric? I guess that's a place to start. And how many options are there actually out there? (laughs) Such a great question. So when I came into the industry, I always thought there's just the sustainable fabric collection and the non-sustainable fabric collection. And that's what there is. Black and white. Yeah. And I thought it was a very black and white subject. And like a lot of things in sustainability and even in, you know, nutrition and all this, like there's so much gray area that it really depends. So while there are fabrics that I would say are worse than others, and some of them that are truly bad, there's some that are really great, but there's a lot of messy middle with fabrics. So I'll give you a couple of examples to like illustrate that. 
But typically, like what you mentioned at the beginning, those petroleum-derived fabrics like polyester and nylon that are, we would call them virgin fabrics, so they're brand new, you know, chemically processed fibers, those would be on kind of like the bad end of sustainability because for obvious reasons, they never biodegrade. They're using petroleum and plastics and a lot of chemicals in the production and not only creating harmful impacts to the environment through doing that, but also questionable impacts on your skin from wearing those fabrics. But on the positive side of those fabrics, they do last a long time, which is actually one of the negatives, like they don't biodegrade. But if you're wearing a pair of pants and let's say you're keeping it for like 20 years, they are going to be your number one fabric because they're so long lasting and so resilient because they are from plastics essentially. Whereas like on the far end of the spectrum, I would say in the like highly sustainable fabrics, like if you go to like maybe a hemp or organic cotton or even tensile, which is a fabric that we use, which are from naturally derived sources, you know, they are obviously like biodegradable, they're naturally derived, use relatively low chemicals, depending on which fabric it is. Particularly, I can speak to Tencel, which we use, which is from reconstituted wood pulp that's sustainably sourced. And, you know, that will return to the earth eventually. But, you know, it requires a little bit more gentle care. Like you can't just throw it in the dryer and fry it on <laughs> level 10. Like it's better if you hang it to dry, you know, and it is a beautiful fabric and it won't fade and has a lot of amazing qualities, but it's more expensive too. So there's like a trade-off at kind of every step of the ladder, I would say. And then even more complicated, you know, when you talk about a fabric like cotton, which historically we've been taught is like natural and safe through a lot of marketing from that industry, you know, it's a little bit misleading because it really depends on how that cotton is processed, if it's organic or non-organic, if they're using GMO crops, you know, there's a lot of slave labor in cotton. There's a lot of harmful pesticides used in cotton. So you really kind of have to be looking further beyond just the fabrication, but also to the certifications and where it's made and how it's made, which is like an extra step that consumers are not used to having to make. But I know that people are starting to get used to it in their food and their beauty products and stuff like that. So like you said, I think this is like the next wave, like clothing and starting to demand like, you know, ingredient labels on our clothing, almost like where stuff is from. Wow. This is, okay. This is so fascinating. Yeah. So speaking about the washing, the long lasting virgin fabrics that are, you know, created like the fake, (laughs) fake compounds. So that was something that Matt said in his book or, and in the interview that, like so apparently clothing that is made out of these plastics every time we wash it they actually shed tons of microplastics and that goes into the water and into our environment um, which is a big negative but the more you wash it the less that happens and like his solution to the fashion industry issue is for people to get you know a few pieces of clothing that they wear a long time <laughs> rather than like you know just all these new clothing all the time. Yes, there's a huge consumption issue in the fashion industry, like overconsumption and overproduction. So it doesn't even matter like if if some of those fast fashion brands switch to sustainable materials, they're still producing too much clothing for the world and the planet to absorb. So it's I totally agree with what he's saying. And you can do things like use there's a we used to sell a, a wash bag called Guppy Friend and you can wash your synthetic clothing in there so that it doesn't shed microfibers into the environment. But the reality is, is that, and I don't know if he talked about this in the book, that like microfibers are now so in our waterways that like we're all consuming them 
Anyways. Hi, friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th annual biohacking conference, May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and dry farm wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys. And you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. Oh, they're everywhere. They're like everywhere. He said they're literally on every, like every point of the earth. So they're at the bottom of the oceans, like the deepest depths, and they're at the top of Mount Everest. Because they get into the air, and so then they just go everywhere. <laughs> so it's like crazy, and they get into the water. Yeah. So okay, I had another question about that. Oh, it's it's kind of funny. I I feel like I'm really great on one side of the spectrum and really awful on the other, which is that I I actually pretty much wear the same thing almost every day. Like literally, I get embarrassed because I go to the grocery store and like cryotherapy every day and. They probably wonder why I wear the same thing. But it was kind of like what you were saying at the beginning with your experience with the clothing and the travel and like the need of like these one use pieces. I just, I just like to have a piece of clothing that I know is really comfortable that like gets me through the day that I really enjoy. And then I'm good. Like I don't want to make that decision every day. So I'd rather just have like my go to pieces and be done and like not make that decision. (laughs) I'm bad though on the flip side when I go out buying too many dresses. So that's where it all evens out. One more question about the toxins and the certifications. We talked about, I don't know if you, do you say it or do you like say in each letter, the O-E-K-O-T-E-X? Yeah, it's pronounced apparently Urcotext, which is not intuitive, but yes. (laughs) Urcotext, yeah. (laughs) That's like not what it looks like. (laughs) I know, I know. I was pronouncing it wrong for years and then I met them at a trade show and they like said Urcotext. I'm like, oh. Oh, okay. What is that exactly? Or not exactly, but like, what is its purpose? Standard 100 by Ocotext is basically a certification. So it's used in textiles. You might have seen it on, it's very commonly seen in bedding, actually, which is nice because you don't want to be lying on bedding that has chemicals all over it. But essentially, it's a certification that any materials or anything used in the processing of that fabric. So 
in the raw and dyed finished yarns, the finished fabrics and knits, everything has been certified to be free of harmful chemicals because believe it or not, there's still a whole set of chemicals in the fashion industry that are allowed that are not healthy for the human body and not highly regulated, especially overseas. So a majority of production of clothing in Canada and the U.S. is not done onshore. I don't know the numbers for the U.S., but I know in Canada it's like about 95% of clothing worn in Canada is made overseas. And I think the U.S. is similar, might be a little bit more production in the U.S., but the regulations overseas are not very tight on certain things like dyes. So there's a type of dye called an azo dye, which is still allowed in certain countries and it's a known carcinogen. So we don't want those on our clothes, obviously. So Architects is a way of certifying that essentially the fabrics have been tested to be free of these harmful substances. Wow. On the dye front, I've had the experience of where I'll have a piece of clothing and it literally like leaves dye on me. Is that normally an indicator that it's not a good thing? Or can there be like non-toxic dyes that do that? It really depends. So like generally I'm a huge fan of recommending washing your clothing before you wear them, no matter what. And I know people don't like doing that because oftentimes some clothing doesn't look as good on the second wash. I used to be like, you know, and I'm not judging because sustainable fashion is all about progress over perfection. But when I was younger in my twenties, I used to wear a lot more, I would say trendy clothing and I would do a lot of like going out dresses and I would not want to wash them before I wore them because they would not look as good because they were not very good quality. So I knew they would like fall apart or something or get all warped. But reality is we want to wash them, especially if they are coming from overseas, primarily because yes, you want the dyes to come out because maybe that's an indication they didn't properly wash the fabric at the fabric finishing facility. So there's probably still chemicals kind of lingering there. And then also typically when clothing is sent from overseas, it's usually put in containers on ships. And to prevent things from happening along that journey, it can sometimes be sprayed with like things to prevent mold or rats from like eating the fabric. So oftentimes if you open a, you know, a garment that you've purchased and has like a weird smell to it, that's some sort of off-gassing of the fabric or could be something that they sprayed on it. So I always recommend washing your clothing before you put it on your body because a lot of people will have sensitivity to it. While there's no like factual, this is going to cause you cancer or something like that, it may cause skin irritation or, you know, to your, if you touch your hands to your face or something like that. So it's always a good idea just to clean that clothing first. Dye leaking can be a sign of a poor quality fabric for sure. So we've tested fabrics before where dyes leak and we won't, we won't use them because who wants to have dyes on their legs? Like it's not, it's not a good situation whether or not they are safe. It's just not good for your body probably. Okay, that is mind blowing. See, this is like things people do not know. This is crazy. With the dyes, when you are finding your materials, I'm just curious, do the materials come in different colors or do you like separately source the dyes or how do you, what color options and you like actual production on your part, how does that manifest? 
Yeah. So about half our fabrics are actually knit and dyed locally in Ontario, our province that we're in. So for those, we're primarily working in a very neutral set. So we're working from scratch. So we're working with a knitter to knit the fabric and then it goes to a separate facility to be dyed. And so for those, we're like picking dyes. So we use a lot of black and navy. Those are bestsellers. But if we're coming up with like an olive or something, we're coming up with like inspo for it and doing a lab dip is what they would call it, where they put together basically like almost like when you're like matching paint, they put together a bunch of colors and then test it on the fabric to see what it looks like. And then you approve it. But it really depends. Another half of our fabrics are bought from overseas because there's not a lot of knitting left, unfortunately, in North America. So we have some suppliers that are certified overseas that we work with through a supplier in Canada. And there we have like a little bit more standardized, I guess, colors we can choose from. That kind of leaves us open to, you know, not having to buy as many as much fabric. Because when you knit your own fabric locally, or I mean globally even, there's usually like a lot of fabric you need to buy to qualify to do that. So we liked the blend of working with two suppliers because it opens us up to do some more like seasonal colors that we would like to do to brighten up the collection. But we always vet our suppliers to make sure that they're using, you know, certified dyes and and you know sustainably sourced processes for everything because most companies do not like it's actually really hard to find those suppliers in the industry it's getting easier i would say since i started the business but it's still you know it's a challenge it's it's more expensive to be a fabric supplier like that and simply a lot of people don't want to bring on that cost wow i really really do wonder because i feel like we've seen or we are seeing a movement especially like in the food industry and, and the skincare and beauty industry towards an awareness about all of this. Do you think this will happen w- more with fashion? I know you said you're seeing it like a little bit, but do you think there'll be like a, a big movement or a moment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think there's been a couple of like pivotal moments for people in the industry, like a big one that was like at the beginning, I would say of when I started Encircled, like maybe a few years after was there was a factory collapse in Bangladesh where a bunch of like fast fashion brands were making clothing and it wasn't a factory that collapsed from like an earthquake. It literally was like unsafe and collapsed and like 1200 people died. Um, Majority women, majority young women, like under 25 who were making clothing for a bunch of brands that I won't name, but I'm sure most people can Google and look up. What year was it? You said it was in 2013. That's my biggest fear being in a building collapse. Oh gosh. Yeah. Terrifying. Terrifying. I mean, there's actually a large amount of, there's a couple of, there's fashion revolution is a organization that was kind of formed out of that to fight for better regulations for workers after that in Bangladesh and around the world. So fashion revolution week is coming up in, it's in April, I think in mid April. Oh, really? Ooh, I'll have to air this maybe around that time. Yeah, that would be amazing. I can send you the dates for it. Yeah. So, and they've done a really great job of bringing awareness, but it's unfortunate that it takes some of these tragedies to bring that to light. Cause I think, I think as a consumer, I can understand, we want to believe that like businesses are operating in the best social good that like, you know, they're not exploiting labor. No, of course they would use, they wouldn't use unsafe materials. And I'm definitely not like a conspiracy theorist of any sort, But I mean, at the end of the day, it costs a lot more to do things ethically. And if a business can make more money, especially a for-profit publicly traded corporation, they're going to try and do it. So that has a negative impact of everybody down the supply chain to the workers, to 
ultimately to the end people wearing the product too. So there's definitely still sweatshop labor in fashion. Absolutely. One million percent. And there's unsafe working conditions. There's exploitation of children in the fashion industry. Like there's a lot of bad stuff going on that needs to come out. It's just, I think there hasn't really been enough awareness around it. So I'm kind of hopeful that with like all the social media tools that are becoming more prevalent globally, this opens up a world of communication and hopefully will empower some workers to be able to speak out. Cause I think that is the biggest issue is that there's a lot of fear in the industry, especially overseas and people don't want to like, they can literally get killed for trying to form a union overseas. So you know, I think there's a lot that needs to be done to change this industry. And it's just, it's just taking a long time. I think with food, the regulations have been more put forward from the government. Like here, it's just not as regulated. Fashion's still like, just like unregulated. So that's like the biggest issue I think facing it and why the change has been so slow. I'd have to think about it, but it might be like the biggest thing that, you know, everybody is using every day in massive amounts that is just wildly unregulated. You know, because everything else, I mean, it, it at least has some regulation. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. The sweatshop stuff and all of those issues, does that even happen with like the elite couture clothing brands? Yeah. I mean, just because of, that's another kind of big myth in the fashion industry that just because a brand is like a luxury brand that they're paying their workers well, which is like totally not true. <laughs> like it can be true, but it's not necessarily a correlation. So There's a really great website. It's called remake.world. And they do basically like a transparency report where they go through and talk to and interview a bunch of popular brands and kind of rate rate them on their accountability. And you'd be surprised that most of the luxury brands are the ones that are failing because A, they won't disclose who they're working with, which is a huge red flag at the get-go, but also just they're not, they have no proof that they're paying any sort of living wages to people. So you can just imagine that, you know, the margins that they're making, it's just, it's incredible, but people still crave these luxury brands because they have like that front end, like, I don't know, I'm not a luxury shopper myself, but I guess there's like some credibility because a certain celebrity wears it or whatnot. It feels really, really luxury, but you have to be really careful. And there's the good thing is there's a lot of resources now like Remake World and Fashion Revolution and other places where you can research brands and kind of get a read on how sustainable or ethical is this brand really so that you can make some more informed decisions before you buy. Because I think that would be very surprising to people to see kind of where some of those standard brands stack up versus others. And, you know, sustainable fashion and ethical fashion doesn't have to be expensive. There are accessible price points in the industry, but ultimately, you know, myself and other slow fashion brands, we want people to buy, you know, less, but better and actually wear the clothing that they're buying. And, you know, that's the most sustainable thing you can do is wear your closet. I'll just put a reference in there for listeners. I recently interviewed Loretta Bruning. She's a, what is she a psychologist? She has a lot of books on like the brain and society and people, but she has a book called Status Games. And it's all about the role of 
the neurotransmitter serotonin in our seeking of status. It's fascinating. But she has a whole chapter on clothing, like how long we've been doing this whole fashion thing and why we do it. And it's it's fascinating. But she makes the case that it's actually very evolutionary. Like if you look at different animal species, they will do stuff similar. <laughs> like the stripes on zebras mean things, like indicate their status. And like different animals will have different colors. It's, it's really, really interesting. So that's just like a, a side note. So Encircled is a B Corp, correct? Yes, we've been a B Corp since 2018. What does that mean and what goes into getting that certification? Yeah, so a certified B Corp is essentially a third-party audit. So it means we've been certified to be a company that is above board on governance and workers and the environment. It's really a higher standard of social and environmental performance, transparency, and accountability. And there's a whole assessment process behind that. There's a bunch of really popular brands like Patagonia and Eileen Fisher are B Corps. And they're some of like the original B Corps. I think there's about 8,000 around the world, if I'm not wrong. So it's not a big, like not a lot of companies get this certification because it is really difficult to get. There's an assessment process and there's a lot of documentation you have to provide And you also have to recertify every three years. So we recently recertified, I think, two years ago, and we're able to improve our score, which is amazing. Oh, wow. I didn't know there was like a score level on it. Yeah. So there's a score. I'm not sure exactly what it's out of, but I know we scored 103 before we were like, I think like a 90 or an 89 or something like that. So you have to be above like an 80 to qualify. I don't know what the top score is, but <laughs> I think it's like 150 or something like that. But but yeah, so we're very proud of that. But it, it's a big assessment process and it, it takes a long time to recertify even. But the best thing about the B Corp, I think, is that for consumers, they know that these companies have been like rigorously evaluated against a bunch of social and environmental standards that are industry leading as well, it opens us up to new best practices. So that's how we were able to improve our score versus our previous assessment was just being in this group of companies and being in their programs and learning more about what things we can do to become even more socially responsible. But essentially, it is a commitment. Like we've written into our corporate bylaws that we are using business as a force for good in the world. So we're prioritizing people and the planet over profit which is a big declaration that I don't think a lot of companies want to make. So that's why you won't won't probably see as many B Corps as we would love to have in the world. But it's a really great movement to be a part of. It's actually B Corp month in March this year. That's just celebrating that a lot of these B Corps go beyond the standards. So we go beyond what's required. So in the fashion industry, obviously, we just talked about the bar is pretty low. There aren't very a lot of standards. But we go beyond that when it comes to, you know, our sourcing, our manufacturing, how we treat our workers, you know, even down to how we design and launch products. And that's really what it means to be a B Corp. It's to be a positive impact in the world. Hi, friends. An incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits, as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. 
There's some drama, there's some science, and I'm about to tell you how to get a discount on my new favorite coffee. So I've been drinking the coffee formerly known as Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Coffee for literally a decade. I do not drink it now, so this is not a Bulletproof Coffee commercial, but I started drinking it because I so trusted Dave and his obsession in creating mold-free coffee because moldy coffee beans is a huge problem and a lot of people can get health issues, brain fog, and crash after coffee because of the mold control. Contamination. Dave has been talking about this for so long, so I really trusted him and I would drink Bulletproof Coffee, which I absolutely loved and loved that it was mold-free. Then there was some drama. Dave sort of got kicked out of Bulletproof. He might be going back. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. Follow him on Instagram if you want to learn more about that. He even talked about it at the recent biohacking conference. But in any case, <laughs> drama aside, he can no longer speak to Bulletproof Coffee as to whether or not it is mold-free. And he ended up making a coffee even better than Bulletproof Coffee, and it is called Danger Coffee, and friends, I love it. It's the first coffee that is not only mold-free, but actually can help you remineralize. Yep, that's right. Danger Coffee contains a patent-pending formula that actually remineralizes your body with more than 50 trace minerals, nutrients, and electrolytes. On top of that, it is super clean. I know people like to see organic labels. Friends, I have learned so much about the certification industry. And honestly, the best of the best is finding people that you trust who do extensive testing and third-party certification. That's what I do with my Avalon X supplements. And that's what Dave does with Danger Coffee. So with Danger Coffee, they use a process that far exceeds government and industry standards. And it is third-party lab tested. So you can rest assured it is free of mold toxins. As for the flavor, Dave selected these hand-picked farm direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof Coffee. It's honestly one of the best coffees I've ever tasted, and it's so exciting to know that when I'm drinking it, I'm actually helping to remineralize my body. So that's right. If you want your coffee to contain antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, micronutrients, and help optimize your fasting, you want Danger Coffee. And of course, I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee with the coupon code melanieavalon for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10-year decade bulletproof coffee habit but sometimes you just gotta upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. So the size of your company now, do you foresee scaling up even like larger or where do you see um, your company existing as far as actual like size and production? Yeah, so we're we're still a very small team. I mean, we've ebbed and flowed over the pandemic. We had 22 people at one point, and now we're we have five or six, and we're largely about the same revenue, which is interesting. But decided to like streamline things a lot, just because I found that like you know once you get up to that level of like employees, it's just like you're not able to really be in the business and doing design and those things that I like to do. You're really an HR manager at that point. So I wanted to really come back to our roots, but yeah, we're definitely wanting to grow and seeing some positive growth and, 
And I think the industry is shifting. There's a lot more awareness around sustainable fashion and a lot more questions from people. It's super interesting to see. There was very famous celebrity recently partnered with a fast fashion brand for a conscious kind of collection. And I jumped on that post and seeing the comments from the consumers calling them out for greenwashing and ethic washing. I was so proud. I was like, wow, everybody sees this. This is so good. Cause it like scares me a lot when I see greenwashing. Cause I think it can really mislead people, but consumers are getting more and more educated, which is really awesome. And that only helps our business as well, because you know, we need that awareness around the issue in order to solve that problem for our customers. And so to clarify, because I don't know if we actually defined it. So when you say fast fashion, those are presumably clothing brands that are just creating like fast turnover clothing. Yeah. So fast fashion brands essentially have like no fashion seasons. They release like thousands of new styles every week. A big example of a fast fashion brand is a brand called Shein. I think they launch about 5,000 styles a day or something like that, you know, so they're creating a lot of clothing at a very cheap price. So like $10 dresses and stuff like that. So you have to imagine at the end of the day, fashion is like any business, like your supplements, I'm sure like you understand the product cost and, you know, it's math, like to come up with pricing, you know, it's not magic. <laughs> like there's something in that. I have like two hour calls, like just trying to figure out the price and it's like a math equation. <laughs> it is, but it is a big math equation, right? Like there's inputs into it and you can't like exactly be like, Oh, I'm just going to take out the labor. Like nobody needs that you know, but like these fast fashion brands, what they do is, you know, to get a $10 dress cost, like you have to really cut back on some areas, you know, to be able to do that. And that's like really challenging. That means somebody's not probably getting paid along the way and the materials are probably not good quality. It may not fit and they may not care. <laughs> like the customer service may not be good. Like there's, there's so much that goes into that. So that's why I think the education really needs to happen in the industry because, you know, just like supplements too, because I'm really into wellness and nutrition, like you can go onto Amazon and there'll be like an $8 bottle of like, you know, B complex. And then there's like a $50 bottle and you're like, which one should I choose? I choose $8. But then you realize like, that's not the good kind of like B whatever B6 in there. It should be this one. You know, it's kind of like that where you really like at the end of the day, there's a reason why sustainable and ethically sourced fashion costs more. It's because there's living wages being paid in there. There's high quality premium sustainable materials in there. And those just cost more. That's just the reality. It's not that we want to like price gouge consumers. It just costs more money to make products in an ethical way. And unfortunately, the consumer has been trained that cheap is better and more is better. So that's where that kind of conundrum comes around in that book you were talking about at the beginning you know, advocating for buying less is definitely a great way to go because do you really need 14 new dresses every month? Like that becomes the question. And are you actually wearing those dresses again? And if not, what happens to them? So I think there's a little bit of a mindset shift that needs to happen in the industry overall around consumerism. But again, speaking to the psychology of it, I don't know if we'll be able to get there. I hope we can, but it's definitely, there is something very emotional about clothing People have a very emotional attachment to the, what they wear. This is such a important mindset shift. And you just said all of it, but just to like say it again, because like for me, I don't think I've really like thought about this, but when I would see these clothing lines, I know the ones you're talking about, like, and you can get them online and they're like really, really cheap. I think I was just assuming that 
other brands were unnecessarily marking up the price. Not that that, and I should know this now creating a product <laughs> line, but not that, you know, that maybe it was, you know, necessary, like that it's required to have a higher price to treat everybody correctly and make everything, you know, sustainable and healthy. So this is a major, major mindset shift. Oh, so another question about the greenwashing. What are some other examples of greenwashing that people might see in the clothing industry? A good one would be when people, when brands launch like partially recycled collections. Okay. Yeah. Can you talk about that? You know, when I talked about like nylon and polyester, there's, and even with cotton, you can buy recycled cotton yarns, recycled nylon yarns, recycled polyester. But even with that, you need to be really careful. So firstly, like it's really important to try and aim to have a recycled fiber that's 100% that recycled fiber because just later on in the biodegrading or if, if we want to even recycle that fabric, which they're starting to do now, it's just easier to break it down if it's one fiber in there and not blended. But I'll often see brands do like, uh, you know, like 50% recycled polyester, like 40% regular nylon and then like 10% something else. And then they're like introducing the new recycled collection. And you're like, okay, it is technically recycled. <laughs> this is not hundred percent recycled. Or, you know, I've seen some brands call calling different things like vegan leather, I think is another one that's a bit of a greenwash. So I'll probably get in trouble for talking about this, but like vegan leather is essentially like PVC, which is plastic. Yeah, essentially, unless you're using cactus leather or mushroom leather, which are derived from natural products, which most of these brands are not, you're essentially using plastic, which yes, is vegan, but no, it's not like that much better if you look at it, because it is plastic, it's created from chemicals, it will never break down, it's very toxic in the way it's produced, and it off gases. So, so yeah, that's another big one is when I see like vegan leather pants or something like that, I'm like, okay, come on. <laughs> this is just plastic pants. <laughs> Let's just call it plastic pants, which is fine, but just say what it is and don't mislead people. So that's like a big one when people say vegan silk and it's like nylon. So it's basically made from like petroleum products, but it's like vegan because it's technically not from silk. That's another big greenwash that I see quite often. And then around, I think the recycled fabrics too, it's really important. This is where certifications really come in because, you know, it's become very trendy to work with like recycled fabrics for like leggings and stuff like that. And we've used them as well, but you need to make sure that the sourcing on it is good because, because there's so much demand for those recycled fibers now that are from, you know, water bottles or fishing nets or whatever they're from. Other brands are coming up and just like making them out of like new water bottles just to like have the sourcing. So that totally does not solve for the problem <laughs> at all. It's making more waste. So, so you need to like check the certifications on products and make sure they're truly being from sustainable sources, which is really important. And that's where it becomes, I think, confusing for the consumer. Cause like we work with a really popular fabric called Tencel Modal and Modal is made from reconstituted beech tree pulp, and we use certified Tencel, so it's sustainably sourced and renewably planted. And, you know, it's managed forests. Like, it's very, very well done. But you can also get Modal from Indonesia, where they're clear-cutting, you know, beech trees to do it. So that's why you need to kind of ask more questions about how and where it's from to really get the true answer. And that's why fashion is so complex. Just like, I guess, food is too, right? Like, there's different you know, organic versus like permaculture versus, 
you know, non-organic, like there's so many different ways to slice things and it can be overwhelming for consumers. But I think just asking questions is like a really great place to start. If somebody's not sure, asking the brand, DMing them or emailing them, asking them more information. If they can't tell you, that's usually a pretty big red flag as well from a greenwashing standpoint. Wow. This is just beyond fascinating. I don't know if you know the answer to this, but with leather, do you know in general, like the sourcing of leather, does that come from cows that also were being used like for food or are cows killed like just for leather? Mm, That's a good question. I don't work with leather. So I think it comes from both. I think there's definitely leather that comes from like byproducts, I would say, and then some that doesn't. And I think it's kind of a similar industry where you can get, you know, dyes that are very toxic or dyes that are not like it's, it's again, like one of those things where there's a lot of like gray area. But I mean, again, like leather is very long lasting. I think there's, there's positive elements to that as long as it's being sourced responsibly and ethically. But I don't have a ton of experience in leather because we actually don't use it at all. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I've been, I've been curious about that. I need to, to research that. Another question about the styles. So you spoke about these fast fashion companies that are releasing, you know, thousands of styles. How do you approach your catalog and the question of how many pieces to have? And then the second question would be, how do you decide personally? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. So it's always that fine balance, right? Like you need some newness to the collection to be able to keep up with what's happening, you know, from a trend perspective to a certain extent. But my favorite thing is to design styles that, you know, we can keep in the collection for a long time. So like really timeless silhouettes, like our most popular pant is a pant called the dressy sweatpant, which we've had for like almost seven years. And we've done some like iterations and updates to it, but it's largely the same pant. So I love working with really timeless, trendless silhouettes, but we aim to launch on average, like it's been a quiet winter, but maybe one to two products a month, if that. (laughs) So versus like, you know, these other brands were launching 30,000 SKUs, we're launching like 10. So we're very small and very slow still, but it is a balance because like you want to be able to bring some new product to people, but Also, I'm not just going to launch a product just because I think it's like trending or whatever. I want to make sure it's going to be like really high quality and hold a place in our customer's closet for a long time and that they'll get a lot of wear out of it and that it's well made. So we do a lot of testing and fitting behind the scenes that takes a lot longer to do, which is why we call ourselves a slow fashion brand because we're very slow to launch. Do you sell all your inventory or what if you don't? Yeah, No, we do not sell all of our inventory. (laughs) I wish we did. You know, we've definitely had moments where we sold stuff out for sure on launch and then have to produce. But that's the challenge with fashion is like understanding unless you're operating on a pure pre-order model where you're just pre-ordering and then delivering like almost like a Kickstarter, like you're delivering like three months later or six months later or something like that, then you can kind of produce to demand. It's very hard to do that because it does take you know, we're even producing locally now, it's a lot slower, but it does take about six to eight weeks end to end if you have the fabric, sometimes longer. So that means consumers would have to like wait for a pre-order, which sometimes they'll do, but not maybe that long. So we do our best to try and forecast to what we think people will will need. And then if we have excess inventory left over, it's nothing like you would see in the fast fashion world. It's not like 
thousands of clothes being burned in an incinerator. Like we're like, Oh, we've got five extra smalls left. Let's put them in the sample sale. Like, you know, that, that becomes the discussion, but you know, it's pretty rare that we grossly overproduce a product just because we're pretty small batch company anyways. Gotcha. So what do you do with the extra inventory? Mm-hmm. A lot of it will end up, well, eventually we will like mark it down. A lot of it will end up, we do quarterly samples and second sale where we'll have like inventory that maybe has like some minor quality defects or something like that. So we'll put it into that sale and sell it online at a discount. And then if we can't really get rid of it, we will donate it essentially. Yeah. Hi friends. One of the most valuable things that I do every single night of my life is my infrared sauna session. The brand that I use is Sunlighten. I did a lot of research on infrared saunas before deciding on them. Their saunas are so high quality. They're low EMF. And what I really love is they have a solo unit. That's what I have. And it's really great if you live in a small apartment, might be moving. It's just really an amazing investment and they have incredible deals and offers on it right now. You can actually get up to $200 off with the code Melanie Avalon, or if you're talking to a rep, just tell them that I sent you. And like I said, that will be up to $200 off and that will also get you $99 shipping. Normally the shipping is like $600. So that's a really, really big deal. And if you do purchase a sauna, forward your proof of purchase to podcast at melanieavalon.com. And I will also send you a signed copy of my book, What, When, Why. If you'd like to learn more about the science of sauna, Two resources. I interviewed the founder of Sunlighten, Connie Zach. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then I also recently did an epic blog post all about the science of sauna. We'll also put that in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. And you're donating the best clothing for people. So that's amazing. I hope they appreciate it when they receive that. I'm just curious with your own personal style because you said that, you know, fashion was not your thing historically. Like, would you wear every single thing on the website or do you create things that you need to fill out the catalog with, but they're not necessarily like your your style? That is a really good question. Nobody's ever asked me this before, but it's a great question. <laughs> so it's a bit of both. So my style is very, like my style icon is like Jennifer Aniston. Like I love her. Like she's so timeless and so like classic. And that's more of my style if I'm like getting dressed to go out. I live in a lot of athleisure. I work from home a lot. So I love to live in leggings and and our dressy sweatpants are one of my favorite pants of all time for sure. So there's definitely pieces where I wear them a lot from our collection I would say our our core customer is a little bit different than us. She's probably like a lot more professional than I am. So she's in a lot more professional environments where she has to be more dressed up. So I would say we've got a lot of pieces on our site that I probably wouldn't wear on the daily just because I'm not dressing up as much as she is. Because we have a lot of like, you know, women who are like boardroom bosses and they're, you know, they're wearing a lot of like blazers and like, you know, comfortable suiting, I guess, if you will. So we've kind of really niched into that kind of workwear that feels like loungewear area, but I still wear a lot of the classics. Like I love our dressy leggings as well as our dressy sweatshirt and our t-shirts. Those are definitely classics that I wear on repeat, but I'm definitely a lot more casual, I would say, than our like core customer on the whole. But in terms of design, you know, it's a collaborative effort with the team. So a lot of it is sometimes me coming up with ideas and then, you know, the team will refine them or maybe the team comes up with an idea of something that, 
you know, there's a gap in the collection. Like, for example, we're about to launch a new pant, which is actually a recycled fabric. It's a recycled Ponty fabric. That pant is like a very timeless silhouette, really like soft and structured. I probably wouldn't wear that every day because it's a bit more dressy, but I definitely wear that pant going out or to like important meetings and stuff like that. And that was an idea where we did like a collaboration with the design team. We just wanted to do like more of a structured pant that was comfy and sustainable. So, you know, the ideas come out of kind of anywhere essentially, but I would say going forward, we're trying to get a little bit more organized around our design and trying to bring in some resources to help with that just because it's not my natural talent. Let's say (laughs) I do my best, but I'm not a fashionista. I'm not like on top of the trends. Like my friend asked me the other day, what's in for spring? I'm like, I have no idea. (laughs) Literally no clue. (laughs) White t-shirts, I hope. (laughs) So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely more classic over trendy. Do you think you'll ever have a classic like cocktail dress? (laughs) Yes. I mean, yeah, definitely. I think we, we've had a couple of like more shorter dresses before. We used to have a dress that we're trying to bring back called, it's really cool. It's called the retrograde jacket dress. And it's basically a jacket that converts into a dress. So it has like this full length zipper and it's really cute. It has pockets. It's like a mini kind of like, like a bit of a bat wing shape is really cute. So we're redoing that right now, actually, because it did have vegan leather on it and we wanted to get rid of it. So we're trying to source a cactus leather to replace on it and redo that design completely. So that's one that's more of like a cocktail dress. And then we have another dress called the revolved sleeveless dress, which is coming back, which is definitely more of a cocktail dress, but it, it converts into a top as well. So it's kind of a fun piece. Oh, because I was looking at the Revolve dress, which looks really cool, but I was like, I I want it without sleeves. So it's basically, that's coming? Yeah, that's coming back in probably a couple months. We can send you one if you want. Oh, oh my goodness. Yes, please. (laughs) It's like right up my alley. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, I'm excited. So you were mentioning a lot like she and, you know, that this is for women. Would you ever expand into men, men's clothing? Yeah, we've tried to dip our toe in that area before. It was not very successful for us. And I think that's because we only were able to really launch like a few pieces. So that's a hard thing is like when a menswear brand tries to get into women's wear or vice versa, it's like you kind of have to go big into that or else it's like hard to shop there. And it's kind of like the same thing with like offering you know, we have extended sizing up to 4X in like a few styles. And it's hard to play in that space unless you have a bigger collection because people want to be able to put together outfits, which totally makes sense. But we just haven't had the capital to do it. You know, we're largely bootstrapped. So creating a like 10 piece collection, let's say for men would be really difficult for us financially, I think. But it is something we've thought about because there's not a lot of brands out there with really comfy pants for men that are like dressy. So it's definitely something I've, I've thought about like the dressy sweatpants for men for sure. But yeah, maybe in the future, if we get some financing, we test it again for sure. And what about shoes? Yeah. Shoes are a whole other, oh my gosh. Yeah. I can definitely recommend some shoe brands that would be great, but yeah, I stay away from shoes. I don't know anything about shoes. (laughs) They scare me. So that's like a whole, a whole different world. It's a whole different supply chain, even like, you know, going from, so we use a lot of what we would call knits or jerseys, like even making woven garments, which are like non-stretch garments is a whole different supply chain. It's so crazy. Like how 
I don't know. I, I just assumed before I got in this industry that, you know, everybody can just make everything. That's not true. Like we have, we have factories where all they can make is t-shirts. They can't make anything else. And then we have factories, all they can do is pants. They can't make anything else. Like it just really, there's specific machinery for everything. So for shoes, the challenge is, is that there's not a lot. I, I don't think there's any shoe manufacturing left in Canada, maybe in Montreal, but in the U.S., there might be a little bit because New Balance, I think, think, still makes shoes there. But it's very, very much an industry that's evaporated over the last like 30 years onshore. So you kind of have to go overseas for that and then build a whole supply chain and stuff like that. But there's some great ethical shoe brands that I can link you into after the show if you want some options. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. We can um, put that in the show notes. Okay. So for people who, well, first of all, thank you so much. So Christy is offering our listeners a 15% off discount. Is that right on the site? Yeah. So you can use the coupon code Melanie Avalon and that's at encircled. So that's E-N-C-I-R-C-L-E-D.co. Mm-hmm. Make sure I get that right. Okay. Um, so we'll put that in the show notes and that code will be for 15% off site-wide. So thank you so much for that. Well, this has been so amazing. So just stepping back or maybe like just, you know, provide a nice way to end things. For, so for people going forward, because I feel like this probably opened a lot of people's eyes, aside from obviously buying some pieces from Encircled, which would be amazing, just like in their daily life, like what are some things that people can do to just live more sustainably when it comes to their clothing? Should you wash in the beginning and then wash less? Should you go through and like actually clean out your wardrobe and keep some for a long time? Like, like what, like what should people do? Yeah. So I'm a big fan of just being overall more intentional with your closet. So if that starts with a closet cleanse, so going into your closet and kind of evaluating what you're wearing and not wearing, I think that's a great first step. I wouldn't necessarily get rid of what you're not wearing. I would more so challenge yourself as to why you're not wearing it and see if you can maybe reincorporate it into your wardrobe. We used to do something called the wear your closet challenge where we would ask our, you know, followers to take, you know, seven pieces and see if they can style them over the next seven days. And you'd be surprised people will find pieces that they love that they forgot about. And they're like, Oh, yeah, I love that top. Like, I don't know why I don't wear it. Because a lot of us have too much clothing in our closets. So we can't even see half the stuff we have and we forget about it. And we tend to wear the same thing, like you said, on repeat. You know, everybody kind of does that. That's like a very human tendency. So I think that's a great place to start is to kind of just evaluate what you have in your wardrobe and, you know, start to challenge yourself to wear stuff that you're not wearing. And if you want to, you know, eventually get rid of it, give it to a friend, swap it, sell it on Poshmark or, do trade it or something like that or donate it. There's lots of options there. And then if you are shopping, I think just doing it with more intention. So being very clear about your style and like what you're looking for and being thoughtful when you're shopping for stuff, like doing some research. So if you want to get a new pair of jeans, you know, doing some research beforehand, looking up the brands on some of those resources that I mentioned, you know, checking their ethics, checking reviews, trying them on, seeing if they're going to fit and like how timeless are they? I think we tend as a society to overinvest in single occasion clothing and underinvest in wardrobe staples that we wear on a repeat basis. So I always encourage people to flip that paradigm. And if you're like a jeans and t-shirt person, you love to wear those on the daily, then you should be investing more in higher quality pieces like that because they'll last you longer. You'll get more joy out of wearing them. They'll be better coming out of the wash and they won't shrink and all that kind of stuff versus like spending, 
you know, $600 on a gown that somebody will only wear once, you know what I mean? So that's kind of something I'm a big advocate for. And if people are really curious, they can look into our blog or just Google capsule wardrobes. I think that's a great way to also start to plan how you purchase clothing is to really start to have a more intentional approach around it. Wow. Okay. This is so incredible. Well, I have just so enjoyed this conversation and I feel like people are going to love it. It's, it's funny. What's well, not funny, but when you said, <laughs> when we first connected, I posted in my Facebook group, gauging people's interest on a show on the topic, because this is kind of like, I haven't talked about really anything like this before on the show. And it, it was overwhelming the amount of like questions and excitement people had about this topic. So I'm just so, I'm so grateful for what you're doing. And actually appropriately enough, the last question that I ask every single guest on this show. And it's just because I realize more and more each day how important mindset is. So what is something that you're grateful for? Ooh, I'm grateful for my dog. I am a proud dog mom and I love her so much. (laughs) And you can check her out on our Instagram from time to time (laughs) if you want. Oh, I will. That's amazing. Yeah. Speaking of what is your Instagram and how can people follow you? Yeah. So you can follow me personally. It's Christy Sumer. So K-R-I-S-T-I-S-O-O-M-E-R or on Encircled. We're at Encircled, E-N-C-I-R-C-L-E-D underscore. You'll get to us. And yeah, if you have any questions out of this podcast episode, feel free to tag me personally or DM me. I'm happy to answer them or I can do a video response or something like that. We love educating people on sustainability and capsule wardrobes and slow fashion. So no silly questions. So don't hesitate to reach out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Christy. I am just, I'm so grateful for what you're doing. Just more people, A, need to be doing this, need to be hearing about this. So thank you. Well, thank you for not only creating the brand and doing what you're doing, but also taking that that next step of education. You know, because I feel like a lot of people could just stop there, like, with creating it, but you know, you're going on podcasts, you're like spreading the word, you're commenting on those greenwashing posts. So um, thank you so much for what you're doing. And I'm really excited to see the the future of your company. Hopefully we can stay in touch because I'm, I'm just very much inspired by you. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Melanie. It was a pleasure. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What Win Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got this.